The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. And first pitch crushing! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. What's up and welcome in to Fantasy Baseball today on Wednesday, October 4th. I am Frank Stample, joined by Scott White and Chris the Welsh. Today on the show, we will be discussing things we got right this season, but nobody is perfect. So we will also break down what we got wrong, lessons that we learned this season, and the Arizona Fall League is up and running. What has the Welsh seen from top prospects Jackson Job and Ricky Tiedemann so far? We'll find out right there, live from the scene out there in Arizona. So we'll break all that down, but first let's just start with the postseason. Playoff baseball has started, Scott, and uh, it was a bad day for our AL World Series pick, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, the Rays are facing elimination. That's how it goes in a best-of-three series. But, you know, Jordan Montgomery pitched a great game. That's how it goes in a best-of-three series. And all it takes is one great pitching performance to, to change the direction of everything. Evan Carter got on base four times from the number nine spot, a real Michael Harris-esque performance from him. And... uh you know, maybe the Rays, maybe the Rangers will advance instead, or maybe the Rays will win two in a row. Who can say? We shall see. I believe on Wednesday it's going to be uh, Nathan Avaldi going up against Zach Eflin. So on paper, I think that's advantage uh, Tampa Bay. But you know what? I would have said the same thing on Tuesday, and it didn't work out that way. Jordan Montgomery, by the way, his last five starts, including this one, a .53 ERA and a .88 WHIP. 
Evan Carter has looked awesome. The Rays made four errors in that game, the most that they have made in a game this entire season. They saved uh, their worst defense for whose last. idea was it to have them wear their Devil Rays jerseys <laughs> for Ooh, the start? Ooh, this is a bad hot take. Are you not a fan? I mean, I would think they are not a fan of their Devil Rays lineage when they were a doormat. Like, why would you pull out the jerseys from your doormat years instead of like that just seems like I think it's appropriate. Now, what did 19,000 people show up to a playoff game? I think that's very devil. I think they should wear those devil rays. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think, I think they just, should. I mean, I think they should threaten everybody. They'll wear them unless the stadium uh, sells out and then just see where it goes. I don't really believe in jinxes and luck or anything like that. But if you're someone who does. No way. It seems like pulling out the uniforms from the worst era I mean, there's really what been their franchise hasn't existed that long. They're one of the two newest franchises in the majors, but they were a doormat when they were the Devil Rays, and they have been consistent winners as the Rays. So why would you want to kick off your postseason run in Devil Rays jerseys? It just doesn't make sense to me. I'll tell you exactly why, Scott. Because they are hot. Those jerseys are fire, man. <laughs> fire. Uh, so I think that's why they did it. But you do have a point. I mean, they, they were pretty bad when they were the Devil Rays, and they were pretty bad here on Tuesday as well. A team that was not bad was the Arizona Diamondbacks. They took game mm. one against the Milwaukee Brewers. Corbin Carroll showing the national audience just how good he really is. Two for three with his first career postseason home run. And I know it's only one start. I'm not going to put too much stock into this. But I've said this multiple times already. Corbin Burns, he wound up with solid numbers this year. That's fine. But he's not the same pitcher as he has been in previous years. The swinging strike rate has been dropping. He gave up three home runs in this start. He didn't look very good, in my opinion. Game two will be Zach Gallon against Freddie Peralta, so potential pitching duel there on tap. But Welsh, your D-back's up. 1-0. It's a beautiful thing. This is like the uh, the you know the pro- the the prospect Wednesdays, the Welsh Wednesdays we'd have. It's just now there's the Diamondbacks and the Diamondbacks are doing some business and how appropriate for Corbin Carroll. Everybody was on my case today too. By the way, they're like, "How are you how are you in a folly game when the Diamondbacks are in the playoffs?" And I was like, "Guys, we got technology. We're good. We we can cover multiple angles. I can be there and I can watch and listen to a game. It's great." And um, I was terrified. Starting Brandon Fott, I was kind of screaming about it before the game, like how the Diamondbacks put themselves in a situation to let Fott be game one and not do anything else in roster management and pitching management leading up to this is crazy. But this was an insane feat for a bullpen that was so bad up until the back end of the year that they were able to go, what was it, six and a third inning, no runs after Brandon Fott gave up a homer, was given up hits. It was dicey. And they now get to go in with uh, Gallon and a very hot offense. Marte and Car- I mean Carroll's the table setter. Moreno's hitting. It's a it's a team you probably don't want to face until like Brandon Fott comes around. Like they're not they're not going to win a seven game series. You can't do that. They'll they could probably pull this out. It'll be tough against the Dodgers. But like you said, Corbin Carroll up in everybody's business. Well, and, and the takeaway from this game for fantasy, I I think wasn't just that. Corbin Carroll homered. I mean, he hit a 440-foot upper deck blast off Corbin Burns. And Corbin Carroll homered only four times, a combined four times in August and September. Remember all the theatrics over the shoulder? That was early July. He hit, I think, three home runs the rest of July or four home runs the rest of July. So he had a total of eight home runs in three months' time after 
twice looking like he had suffered a season-ending shoulder injury and then coming back like a day or two later. And, I mean, the rest of his numbers were fine during that stretch. I don't, you know, there, there wasn't another flare-up with the shoulder that we know about. I, I think it's not something we have to worry about anymore. But the lack of power in the aftermath of those two, uh, two scary moments for Corbin Carroll... I can't quite get them out of. I can't quite get that out of my mind. Um, seeing a 440 foot home run from him helps. Every every home run he hits this postseason will help to erase the thoughts of the concerns about that shoulder. Welsh, I'm going to kind of preempt you, so I'm going to give you some time here to to pull this up. I want you to to dig into your mock draft from last week and find out where mm. Royce Lewis went in that mock draft because I have a question on that. The- well, I can tell you one thing. He went to me, so we're going to go find out. I'm the one that took him. I know that for a fact, but yes, you set up, I will look, but he, you're going to be talking about me, as the one that took him. Twins, Blue Jays, game one, no hamstring, no problem for Royce Lewis. His first career postseason game, a double dong. He's rounding first base, screaming into the camera, I'm him, I am him. And that's <laughs> he exactly- might be him. Yeah, he's. You might uh, not be wrong about that. He's looked awesome so far. Whenever he's been on the field, that's the biggest drawback. Is can Royce Lewis stay on the field? Shout out to the Twins. Their first playoff win in their last uh, 18 games. So they went. They lost their previous 18 before this. They get back on uh, on the uh, on the board here with a win. Royce Lewis in my early mock draft, he went 89th overall. Welsh, where did he go in yours? Hey, so this was a 12 team. He went with the ninth pick in the seventh round. So that is going to probably put him about, I think that's a, that's a little bit later than yours. I'm trying to do the math in my head and it's 80, not working. 81. Is that 81? It doesn't seem like ninth, 81. Ninth pick of round seven in a 12 team league. Yeah, yes. that's 81. Okay, so 81. So I took him just a tad bit higher. I'd actually taken Hassan Kim the round before that. But yeah, I uh, swooped him up. He was sandwiched between guys like George Kirby and Joe Ryan. We're both too low. And that's just what the early mock draft season is. The problem is going to be like, are we going to get too, too high? Because what Royce Lewis has done over the last couple months is going to resonate with us. It actually feels it's different, but it feels very Randy Arosarena. I remember when he just had that really crazy end of a 2020 season or 2021, and he carried it into this insane playoff. Royce has done it for a little bit longer, but he's just teetered between injuries and everything, had the crazy Grand Slam stretch, and he's just going to keep doing this here. He might push third round to be honest with you probably settles like fourth or fifth if we're you know if if we're letting the hype be real but people are going to go bonkers about Royce Lewis chatter's already out there Scott so you're going to take him people are going to take him over Nolan Arenado you think because I don't even know that Arenado is going to go that high you know what I do I actually I'm well I I don't think Arenado might be the best case study against Royce Lewis do you think so well, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I just picked, I'm just thinking about the number of high-end third basemen there are. Nolan Arenado, Alex Bregman, of course, of course you have even higher end than that, but. Um, Let's see where Arenado went. Gunnar Henderson, Henderson Gunnar Henderson's a pretty high-end third baseman at this point. Like I would, I would have, uh, it, I would have a hard time putting Royce Lewis in my top 10 at the position. I don't have them all lined up. Maybe he's exactly 10th, something like that. There, there are just so many established high-end third baseman that I think that would be difficult for him to break into. Um, I mean, I'd like to be enthusiastic about Royce Lewis. 
the two home runs here in game one give him 13 in his last 27 games. Mm. Former number one overall pick who nobody really treated like a number one overall pick this year. This was actually his rookie season. Uh, but uh, I don't know. Third base is it's, – it's not an especially deep position, but it has plenty of high-end options. Who would you rather have – this is not quite a one-for-one, one, but who would you rather have, Royce Lewis or Matt McClain? I I think McLean. I mean, just you have to factor in some injury risk for Lewis, don't you? Well, I mean, McLean didn't finish a year because he got hurt, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's one injury versus half a dozen for Lewis. Yeah, and you're you're going to get more speed. I think I can confidently sure. say that from Matt McLean. You know, maybe it turns out you get more power from a, a Royce Lewis type, uh, but he now has 19 career home runs in 71 games so, uh, played. And that includes, obviously, today and, and everything he's done so far in his career. Royce Lewis has been awesome. Uh, last of the playoff games here, the Phillies won over the Marlins 4-1. to Zach Wheeler, clutch, has been pretty much the case for him so far in his playoff career. Six and two-thirds innings, one run, eight strikeouts to zero walks uh, for him. And we'll see if they can uh, wrap it up here on Wednesday. Aaron Nola going up against... Braxton Garrett. So we shall see. Yesterday we gave out our World Series pick. Scott and I did. Welsh, I'll give you a quick opportunity here. Who you got in the World Series this year? Well, let's see who the Diamondbacks are going to play. No, I'm not going to get a homer like that. There's yeah, do no it. Chance. Why not? There's, there's no chance. <laughs> 84 uh, win team. You can't do it with two pitchers. You can't. You just you can't. Man, you can't depend on Kevin Ginkle and Mantle. This is fun, but the Dodgers will ru- ruin the day once again. I feel you know what the problem is I feel like I'm always boring. I, I don't know how boring you guys got. I stare at this and I only see the Houston Astros versus the Atlanta Braves. That's I kind of wanted I to see. pick that. I kind of wanted to pick that. That's all that I see. If I want to be like, if I want to be Mr. Fun Guy, then I kind of think the Orioles are in play here. Yeah. And then you know I could throw out like a Diamondbacks team, but I'm the Astros and the Braves right now. Uh, Orioles is a maybe sneaky team. All of us picked Braves. Um, Chris, the other Chris picked Orioles over Braves. Frank and I picked, or I'm sorry, the other Chris picked Braves over Orioles. Frank and I picked Braves over Rays, which are two teams that sound similar if you say them fast. Braves, <laughs> Rays. That's exactly right. All right, let's get into what we got right so far this, uh, so far. The season is over. What did we get right this year? Uh, so I grabbed a bunch of players that we wrote up in our sleepers, breakouts, and bus articles. I looked at a few other things and Tried to just remember like which players that I was drafting and, and adamant about Lance Lynn. Don't worry, we'll talk about him a little bit later on as well. I tried to find some common themes among these players, but I want to keep this moving. We'll, we'll try and go like rapid fire. If there's really a player that stands out, obviously we can kind of slow things down and talk about said player. But Scott, looking back on some of the names that you were right about in your sleepers and breakouts articles, Cattell Marte and Jose Barrios, they were both sleepers for you. And I think those were... Kind of obvious ones because we've seen them do it before and they were both going outside the top 200 picks in ADP. And I just kind of like betting on players like that. And Jorge Soler was one of those for me where he was going even later. He was outside the top 300 and we've seen Jorge Soler do it multiple times before as well. So just kind of betting on guys that have done it. uh, I think that made a lot of sense for both Marte and Barrios. Uh, The other name I wrote down for you here, Nico Horner, who I didn't really hear a lot of people talking about, but you were on him as a breakout. And, you know, looking back at his 2022, I think we saw some signs. Obviously, it's a good batting average. We saw the speed, makes a lot of contact. 
And obviously he just kind of took all of those things to the next level this year. Yeah, and I like that he was the, – the plan was for him to bat leadoff coming into the year. I think he ended up hitting – he was mostly batting second by the end, but that's close enough. Um, and I thought he had the chance to be a 40-steal guy with the, the rule changes. He ended up with 43 stolen bases. You know, not much power. I don't think that's ever going to change for Nico Horner. But um, certainly a useful player. And I, I think given the lack of power, you'd be surprised how high – Nico Horner finished in in points leagues even uh let's see I don't have the full season stats pulled okay here they are uh in points leagues among shortstops Nico Horner was on a per game basis so he was 3.36 uh which would put him ahead of Fernando Tatis ahead of Trey Turner ahead of Gunder Henderson and Ellie De La Cruz Henderson was 3.02 versus 3.36. I mean, Horner was a stud even in that points format where power, traditionally, you think power plays better. Yeah, and in that early mock draft that I did, I took uh, Nico Horner at pick 72, and I posted my team afterwards, and he was kind of a polarizing pick. Some people were like, wow, awesome pick, Nico Horner that late for next season. And some people said, why the heck would you draft Nico Horner that early? So I, I don't know. It's uh, might be a polarizing player for next year, but uh, I think if you grab a lot of power and batting average early, Nico Horner just makes total sense to kind of slot in there as like a 35, yeah. 40 steal guy. Well, uh, my top five picks, or is it four? Ronald Cunha, Bobby Witt, Julio Rodriguez, and Corbin Carroll. They're all going to give you... 35 to well, 70, I guess, steals. They're probably they're going to give you somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 steals, let's say, those top four picks. Um, and then after that, I have Mookie Betts fifth and Freddie Freeman sixth. Not that they're total zeros for steals, but substantially less. And so I think if you don't have, like if you have one of those four top four picks in a Roto League or a Categories League, you can be pretty unintentional about your steals tra- strategy for the most part, you can't completely ignore it because there are just so many steals out there. But you, you, you probably don't have to accept the um, loss of power that comes with Nico Horn. And that's the advantage to picking that early. T- that's why those guys are my top four for next year. Uh, but if you don't get one of them, then Nico Horner might be somebody who's a very attractive pick for you, despite the lack of power. Yeah, in that early mock draft, I started with Freeman, Jordan Alvarez, Tyler Glass now, Manny Machado. So not a lot of steals between those first three hitters, so I thought it made sense to uh, pair someone like Horner up with some of those sluggers early in the draft. Some of the bus calls that you got right here, Scott. Jazz Chisholm, uh, you know, trouble staying healthy, and we were all kind of you know, buying in on that power-speed combination, but, you know, once again, struggled to stay on the field again One this of year. these years, he'll stay healthy, and I'll look dumb for picking him as a bust. But. That was one of the biggest ones I got wrong this year, too. I don't even know if I put that in there. Like, I was, and I think I said this, the other, Jazz was like my number one second baseman over everybody because of the power-speed combo, and he still yeah, kind of showed that. that off when healthy. You know, that was kind of my outlier, but I mean, we'll talk about it a little bit later about the injury risk with a lot of these guys. I think the interesting thing about the bust here is it's not that Jazz became bad. It's just he hurt and hurt and hurt and can't stay on the field. Still pacing out. He is. We're still going to walk into next year with looking at Jazz, looking at projections as 
this is a 30-30 guy. Like, that hasn't changed. It's just the thing that's changed is like, well, he's a 30-30 guy in 162 games, but he's probably going to be more like a 20-20 guy in 95 games or whatever that he's actually going to play. But this is the, that was a major L for me on this one. Yeah. Uh, well, I was, I was about to say second base is the position... You know, 30 30 is one thing. I think second base might be the position with the most 2020 candidates going into next year, maybe even compared to outfield, certainly among in, infield. But then I just realized Chastism isn't even going to be second base eligible next year. He's only, he is going to be an outfielder. So it's a different, different ball of wax. Yep. And two other busts that you got right Jeremy Pena. Uh, I think maybe perhaps we were influenced by what he did in the postseason. Obviously, it was a great showing for him. He Maybe he's a better real-life player because he's such a good defender, uh, has some bad plate discipline. Obviously, a little bit of power and speed, um, but didn't live up to that this season. And Starling Marte, which in hindsight just seems so obvious and like just kicking myself like, why, why did I draft so much Starling Marte? <laughs> An older player, trouble staying healthy, coming off dual groin surgery. Like, you were all over it, Scott. I certainly was all over it in a different way. I, I was all over drafting, which <laughs> was not the best idea for me. Um, but anything else? I, I just want to say, I, I think Jeremy Pena is who he is. He's already 26. Uh, I think he's very Andrelton Simmons-like. You said better real-life player than fantasy. A lot of value is derived from the glove. And, and maybe he'll have a year or two where the offensive, whether he steals enough bases or he hits for enough power that he'll be useful in fantasy. But I, I just don't. I don't think there's much of an offensive ceiling there for Jeremy Pena. All right, let's go over to what the Welsh got right this year. Uh, first one with a with a star next to it, Corbin Carroll. Obviously, all over it. You joined us here last off season, and, and you were just kind of you were telling us Corbin Carroll. He's he's a stud. He's for real. The power is there, speed, all that. Uh, obviously, a historic rookie season, Scott. I know you had him in your breakouts article as well. Uh, but Welsh, you were also right about. Someone who left your Diamondbacks, Dalton Varsho. We spoke about him recently. Obviously, struggles with left-handed pitching. First year in a new environment. Uh, the ADP was still pretty high. He was like a borderline top 50 pick coming into the year. And very clearly did not live up to that. No, not even remotely close. You know what's funny? I got to pull this up. I don't remember if I said this last week uh, or where I said it. But Varsho, the big thing was like, oh, he's not going to hit lefties. I'm concerned about that. Uh, also, the Blue Jays, they don't like to run. How much is he going to get to run? What is that going to look like? But outside of him not being able to hit lefties, he ended up hitting lefties better this year than righties. He hit 292 against lefties and 200 or 202 against uh, righties, which was totally whacked and weird. And yeah, I, I didn't like his approach. I didn't, I, I just didn't like where it was heading and where it was going. And, you know, we fell into the paying for these catchers that were playing out of position and uh, yeah, it, it, it reeked of moving away, but I'm also very critical of catchers. Like anytime you, put a catcher in the top 100 around me it just smells bad and i'm like no no no, no. like i don't even care if ramuto like gets you I, I just not many catchers beat their projection that are inside the top 100 like there's a lot of work that's got to be done to actually get that so i don't like to pay for it and varsho had a lot of warts out there and now it's a moot point i mean it can't yeah, be it said enough dalton varsho's outfield only next year so i mean there's little redeeming about him okay combined 30 what 37 home runs and stolen bases that's not nothing but there are you know james outman i'd rather have him than 
Dalton Varsho if you're not going to get just that like catch average outfield numbers. Like a catcher, yeah. you're like, oh, okay, but these like super av- barely average, barely rosterable, not three outfield rosterable, m- probably five, fifth outfielder, fourth outfielder in a five outfielder league, maybe. But yeah. yeah, he's not a target. All right, let's take our first break. When we return, we'll talk about what I got right this past season. We'll do that right after this. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back in. A quick reminder on the programming for next week. I mentioned this on yesterday's podcast. I will not be in the country. I am uh, flying out to Poland for a wedding next week, so I won't be here. You're in good hands. Scott and the Welsh will hold it down. Uh, They'll be live on Monday, October 9th and Wednesday, October 11th at noon Eastern time. So much earlier than we're used to going live, but you know, turn the guys on while you're out at work or whatever you might be doing. Uh, watch them on demand, whatever you want. But they will be live Monday and Wednesday next week at noon Eastern time. So make sure to tune uh, tune in. They got some fun things planned for you guys. Uh, let's get into the things that I got right from this past season. We'll start off with the sleepers and breakouts. Uh, Jorge Soler, I mentioned this one. Uh, much like Justin Turner. I, I wrote Justin Turner up as a sleeper. And these are guys that we've seen do it before. And they were going... You know, well outside the top 200, Justin Turner's ADP was 241. Seemed like Fenway Park was just a, a, a perfect fit for someone like Justin Turner, who still makes a lot of contact. I like betting on players like this. Later on in the draft, guys that we've seen do it before, people are just kind of over them. Uh, but I, I think that there's a, a good buying opportunity on players like that usually. A couple of their names that I had as sleepers and breakouts. C.J. Abrams I had as a sleeper, and we, we got a little taste of it last year. Obviously, had the huge prospect pedigree. We knew he had the big speed, too, with the new rules coming in. The other one here was Gunnar Henderson, who obviously broke out in a big way. I'm not going to take too much credit for that because, whatever, that was an easy one, arguably the top prospect entering the season, and, and we saw him a little bit late last year as well. Uh, Welsh, uh, the, the question on C.J. Abrams, and I think what's going to be tough to decipher drafting prospects for redraft, which I know typically that's not something that you are into doing, but we'll talk about this a little bit later on with things that we got wrong with like hyping up Miguel Vargas and, and Oscar Colas. How do you figure out which young players to draft and which not to? It, it, it kind of just feels like there's a randomness factor there because, you know, CJ Abrams, he, he wasn't that cheap. He was still going at like 150, so you had to pay like a mid-round pick to get him. And it took him a while to get going this year. Like, he really wasn't good the first couple of months of the year. How do you kind of separate that? Is just is there just randomness when it comes to these young players? I, I mean, absolutely random. I mean, anybody that wants to tell you otherwise, like, there's, of course, randomness involved in it. My, I, I guess my answer is going to be kind of lame and, like, che- cheap into my little world. But it's like, 
when there are guys that don't have any like discernible like information that's oh hey barrel rates kind of up or hey if we could do you know when you just see kind of a bunch of a mess one of the things i tend to go back to because i was with you on this one abrams was one of those that I, the biggest thing i screamed about was the projected stolen bases i was like that's insane there's no way he's gonna steal 16 according to steamer if he plays the whole year this is stupid especially when the rules uh but i go back to like I saw him as a rookie, very first pro at bat. He hit a homer. He always, always got on base. One of the fastest players I've ever seen. Made great decisions throughout the minors. And then you hit this really big rough patch as baseball. Not only does baseball change from the minors to the uh, the majors, but the majors has gone through major adjustments. You're seeing, you know, the new trend of sweepers and and uh, gyro sliders and, you know, and hitting up in the zone. And there is so much that changes all the time that impacts these players that I kind of go back to the cheap prospect pedigree of players that have really done it at a lot of spots and struggle in the majors are players that I tend to want to bet on that can turn it back around. We saw that from Kelnick for even for some time early in the year, and then it kind of fell back and the injuries and stuff like the, the pedigree, it doesn't always work. There's Joe Adele's, but it is random to the spot of trying to hone in on players that do show some elite ability. And CJ Abrams was like, a 400 hitter in the complex league a couple years ago. He has shown power. He has run. I lean back from a prospect perspective that I don't like to give up on guys who have been really good for some time and are struggling in short stints. Royce Lewis would be another kind of example of that that has really bust through. When these guys click, that they have the good uh, backdrop to them, when they click, the talent and elite talent comes through. And that was kind of Abrams, but yeah, it's, it's also, it's like totally random. Someone there, there's not a formula. A couple of the things we got right this year, uh, specifically for me, uh, the bus calls, Jake McCarthy, Welsh, I know you were out on McCarthy as yeah. well. Um, I didn't like the profile. There was no power there. And I thought, you know, steals obviously were going to be easier to find the season. Hunter green, um, just so volatile, bad, control pitcher, uh, fly ball pitcher, and in one of the worst ballparks in baseball for a pitcher to be in. So uh, I think that one was, was kind of obvious, too. Uh, Daniel Bard, I, I wrote that he had bottom-out potential. I think you just bet against Rockies closers, and you'll be right more often than you're not. <laughs> uh, Sandy Alcantara, this was kind of a polarizing one. It's your one. best one. It's and, your best and, one. It's and, awesome. you know, it hurt for me because I loved him last year, right? I, like, all over it, and... My reasoning was just he didn't get as many whiffs as other aces. We had these new rules coming in where there were going to be shift restrictions. I, I thought that, you know, his BABIP would climb a little bit and that he was volume dependent and any kind of decrease in innings what was going to hurt his value more than others. Like he needed that volume to maximize his fantasy output. And I just did not think he was going to be as efficient. Um, and again, like the K minus walk rate was a big reason for that, too just not as good as other quote-unquote aces around baseball. So I was off on Sandy, um, and, and frankly, he was a lot worse than even I thought he was going to be this season. Three names that were injury risks that I wrote up, uh, Byron Buxton, Tyler O'Neill, Tony Gonsolin. It's like Byron Buxton, just kind of rinse and repeat. Just do not draft that guy any, uh, any year. Uh, a few other names here, ones that Scott and I both shared that we both got right. I think like everybody was on this one, but Corey Seager, I mean, just the most obvious breakout had awesome expected stats in 2022. We had the new shift restrictions coming in. We've seen his massive upside in the past as well. Uh, Tristan Casas, we both had him as a sleeper, Scott. And, and this kind of goes back to the question with C.J. Abrams, right? It's like, how do you differentiate Tristan Casas 
from Miguel Vargas, right? They were being drafted at the start of draft season in a similar range, right? Around pick 200. Uh, Tristan Casas got off to a slow start, eventually came around and was really, really useful for fantasy. And Miguel Vargas mm-hmm. did the opposite. So how do you explain yeah. it, Scott? I, I, I don't really know. I kind of agree with, with what the Welsh was saying. I mean, it's, it's um, we refer to them as lottery tickets sometimes because you don't know if they're going to win for you, but you want to have the investment in case, in case they do. And in, in the case of Mil- Miguel Vargas, it didn't pan out. In the case of Tristan Casas, it did. Now, I will say with regard to Miguel Vargas specifically, who when we did our Valentine's Day show, he was the player I loved, and um, I'm sure I was more invested in, in him than in Casas coming into the year. I didn't have exit velocity data from the minors. Um, fortunately, prospectslive.com, good site. They set up, they set up a way to, uh, to gather that data, at least at AAA. And so now I have a look at both Miguel Vargas's exit velocity data in the majors and in the minors. I don't know what it looked like last year, but this year, regardless of where he played, it looked pretty bad. And so if I had that information available to me, I might have had a different perspective on Vargas. Or I may not. Like I said, I don't know what it was last year. But I know this year, I mean, he's got to be like, uh, I don't know, he's got to do... Uh, who's an example of a player. I mean, the most extreme example, I guess, is Isak Paredes of a guy who hits the ball in just the right spot that it's able to go out of the park. But you look at his stack cast page and it's drenched in blue and you're like, how is this guy productive? It's just, you know, he hits it. The, I the most optimal that, launch angle in the most optimal direction. I wonder if that wrist and everything just like, I don't know, getting set back, uh, if, uh, maybe never healed. Uh, there's a part of me. Maybe, yeah. This is me coming back to the whole like, the things I really liked about him were like extreme plate discipline, uh, ability to get on base, barreling the you know, making solid contact, whether it was hard contact, that was a little bit of like a, a tiny bit of a mystery, but like into spring training, not being able to like swing the bat and having that approach in your head and maybe falling behind. I don't know. I just wonder if some of it's mental. Yeah. I'm probably going to be one of those guys. Like if we at all see some <coughs> hard hit numbers come up <laughs> next year, I'm going to be like, uh, Miguel Vargas, like, no, it's not oh no, I mean, post type like sleeper. If, if if he looks like a different, if he's hitting the ball much harder in spring training than he was this year, then I'll be, I'll be back on board quickly. But like, it would have been hard for me to point. get on Casas if with Casas's like more ability to strike out, like having bigger strikeout numbers. If Casas had done what Vargas did, I would be probably more skeptical going into next year. But with Vargas having like a lot of things that bring up the floor, it feels like mm. we could just get the ball hitting harder. We could have. Yeah. huge results with a guy like this i see i i see that differently i think i think it's i think you can improve the plate discipline or the plate discipline is less important than how hard you impact the ball up to a point of course everything matters to a degree but like you mean if you're hitting the ball really hard like if Asus you're capable like certain players are capable of hitting the ball harder than other players you yeah. know and and that is that's something that can't really be taught and and so i think it is the most important single of variable when evaluating hitters and so that's why i'm so thankful that i can look into some of that data triple a now but you're you're right that you know that 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 wrist injury in spring training for miguel vargas may have had a lasting effect i wish i had last year's data to compare it to Uh, and so that's why 
I'm not ruling out the possibility he could show up to spring training hitting the ball much harder. But I will say in 124 team dynasty league, I traded him away because I was worried about his I was worried about I was worried about his long term outlook at that point. Um, and then in another 2014 Dynasty League where people can only keep 10 players, but still we're talking 240 players capped. How many 24 teams do you play in? <laughs> That's a lot of 24 Three. teams. Oh, um, wow. All my, all my Dynasty Leagues are 24 teams. So okay. I don't know if that skews my outlook on Dynasty Leagues. But anyway, 240 ca- players being capped at least. And uh, nobody was interested. Nobody. I, I, I tried shopping Vargas. Nobody was interested. Mm. So maybe that's just uh, maybe he doesn't amount to anything. But man, if you play in a deeper dynasty league, you could probably get him for next to nothing. So if you do have faith in Miguel Vargas, then now is probably the perfect time to buy him in that format. Uh, A couple others that we got right. Jacob deGrom being a bust, trouble staying healthy. Obviously, we were kind of all over that. Uh, Two that I shared with the Welsh, Blake Snell as a re-breakout this year. Uh, He's another one where we've seen the upside in the past. I was really just kind of banking on him showing out in a contract year, which obviously he did. And uh, Alec Manoa, we both had as a bust here, Welsh. The K-minus walk rate, uh, very uninspiring last year. His XFIP and Sierra were both one and a half runs higher than his ERA. I mean, these are just fundamental things that we look at. Like, again, just the very first thing that we look at when examining a pitcher. And it just seems so obvious to me with Alec Manoa. So I just wanted nothing to do with him. Um, and, and that obviously cratered even more than I thought it could be. And one that all three of us were right about, Dylan Cease. The control was a huge problem. Uh, 2022 seemed like an outlier based on the quality of contact that he allowed. He outperformed his XFIP in Sierra by over a full run. Um, I had him with bottom out potential in my bust column. So, uh, yeah, I'm taking that one. I remember everyone on opening day coming oh, for our next I was well, going to say, Frank, I, mean, I was like, I, I wish I bookmarked that tweet. <laughs> I remember like it was yesterday, that tweet we got after that first good start, and we all were looking at each other like, and I think we literally all were on here together going, the guys, it's one start, and then I we didn't hear anything else. It was, the rest it was of the all year. downhill from there. Oh, yeah. I don't usually mute people on Twitter, but man, I had to mute some people on opening day yeah. uh, because of that Dylan C stuff. Let's hit some news and notes. When, uh, after that, we'll get to the things that we got wrong. Don't worry. Obviously, we're, we've got to talk about the things we got wrong as well. So we will do that. Uh, just some quick news and notes, and a pretty big one, I think, for next year's. Uh, draft stock. Manny Machado underwent surgery to repair the extensor tendon in his right elbow. His estimated recovery time is four to six months, which means anywhere from early February to early April. So that is a a pretty wide range. He could be ready to go uh, for spring training. He could be in there for all of spring training games, or he might not be ready right until opening day. Uh, first diagnosed with an elbow injury last May 2022 which he was day-to-day with at the time. He might have been playing through it since then, Scott. I know that was something we talked about towards the end of the season and, and kind of speculated on here, but mm-hmm. I think he, this he ended up like September was his best month. And, and I think Funnily this is enough. something we're going to have to you know monitor pretty closely here in the offseason with Manny Machado. All right. So Manny Machado or Royce Lewis next year? Oh. Come on, I mean, Scott. if Manny is opening day, I'm going to – it's Manny Machado. It's October 4th. You can't ask us that right now. <laughs> you, you have to commit today. I'm all, uh, be, I'm all like nice. I'm like, ooh, who would you rather have? Josh Lowe. And you're like, who would you rather have? Bo Bichette or Royce Lewis? <laughs> I, I mean, obvi- obviously I'm going to rank Machado ahead of Lewis based on the discussion we had earlier. But, I would still um, take Machado too. But it, it will Same be – 
I, I could see it playing out next spring if if you know if they play it more cautiously with his recovery and he's still not appearing in spring games he's still not appearing in spring games oh is he going to be ready for opening day and people like panicking in drafts and passing him over three rounds longer than they should and him turning into a great value so i'll have a lot of manny machado i'll have a lot of manny machado if that happens something i said last offseason completely different situation but i said with Shane McClanahan, right? I needed to see him pitch in spring and make sure the velocity was all right. I think it's a similar thing here with Machado. I, I want to see him play in spring and make sure he's all right and the arm is responding to playing games and all that stuff. And I think once he does that, then I'll be good. I'll, I'll feel comfortable drafting uh, Manny Machado, but I, I think it's kind of a wait and see and let's see what happens here with him in the offseason. Trey Turner dealing with a sore elbow and Luisa Rise uh, with a sprained ankle were both in their respective lineups for game one of the wildcard series. Trey Turner, by the way, two steals in that first game. He is now 32 for 32 overall in steals this year. Roy, uh, Reese Hoskins will begin taking live batting practice on Wednesday. He's been out all season with a torn ACL that he suffered back in March, but hopes that he could help the Phillies if they make a deep postseason run. Tommy Pham will be limited to DH duties because of turf toe. And Jordan Lawler did make the D-backs wildcard roster, but didn't start much down the stretch for them. He went just 4 for 31 with a 129 batting average since being promoted on September 7th. Obviously still just 21 years old and a, a very small sample size, so I don't think we put too much stock into it. But Walsh, is there anything you've noticed from watching Jordan Lawler in this small sample size in September? And pitch recognition looks like garbage. Like he just doesn't know what he's going up to do. It looks a lot more guessing game, uh, which you're probably not surprised about. You know, it's funny, and not to turn this off of Jordan Lawler, but boy, what a sham it is of like, these guys have to be up by September, before September 1st to be on the wild. What a sham that is. You One injury, every single rookie that got called up, it didn't matter when, made the postseason. Junior Caminero, uh, Evan Carter, Jordan, they all did it with one simple roster. I mean, what a sham that thing is. Because I'm sitting there like, oh, these guys can't make it. Pfft. Easy, easy to get them all on there. But yes, Lawler has been a pretty big disappointment. He's been overmatched in a lot of ways. And I think a lot of it has been able, it's been about just kind of a guessing game of what's going up there as far as uh, what he's seeing the pitch mix. I kind of want to actually go back and look and see what he's been, because some of these guys will get really heavy fastballs. I want to go back and take a look at the pitch mix, but it's going to have, we're going to have to have some serious, serious improvement going into next year for him to be massively viable. Some other non-playoff news. Giants president of baseball operations, Farhan Zaidi, said that Marco Luciano will be given the chance to open the 2024 season as the team's everyday shortstop. Just 22 years old, hit 223 with 15 home runs and a 776 OPS in 74 games between AA and AAA this season. Power remains the, the main tool there, the calling card for Marco Luciano. You know, if he's their everyday shortstop, there's no doubt in my mind he can hit 20 plus home runs next year. It's just what else is he providing? What is the batting yeah, the average? 212 average. Yeah. yeah. What you know? Are there any steals in there? Probably not, but we'll see. Uh, last but not least, Terry Francona has officially stepped down as Guardians manager, which has long been expected. It could have uh, could have a fantasy impact. I know the Guardians typically run quite a bit, uh, so let's see who they bring uh, bring in. And obviously, an awesome career there for Tito Terry Francona. Well, Shout out to him. I mean, we hadn't podcasted since a, a lot of managerial changes happen. Um, I think maybe most notably Gabe Kapler 
Oh yeah, being true. Fired in San Francisco, and um, I thought that was the least justified. I have not been a vocal Gabe Kapler supporter by any means, but that wasn't a very good roster, and he kept them competitive until late in the year, and just you know. The way he manages the team is annoying for fantasy, but you didn't see a manager go to greater lengths to get the most out of his roster than Gabe Kapler did. So that was um, disappointing to see him get the blame there. I don't know. Maybe maybe personality-wise he wore out his welcome. That's certainly possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was surprised to see that he was let go by the Giants. And that's not the only one. I mean, Buck Walters out for the Mets, and I don't know who else. Phil Nevin with the Angels. Yeah, Phil Nevin with the Angels. It's being speculated that Craig Council is going to be out for the Brewers, which is weird. Like, what if they what if they win the World Series? Wow. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be weird. Like, yeah, um, uh, yeah, weird. I mean, they've been pretty good, right? That's another team that they don't really spend much. So he's well. I mean, he might follow Stearns. Uh, forgetting the first name, Ooh. David Stearns. David Stearns, yeah, to the Mets. Yeah, to, to the Mets. That's 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 all hearsay, but. I thought it was worth mentioning while we were talking about managers. Okay, let's take our final break. When we return, we'll talk about the things we got wrong, some lessons learned, and a a quick update here from the Arizona Fall League. We'll do that right after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome back in. Let's run through some of the things that we got wrong this past season. And Scott, we'll start with your uh, sleeper and breakout calls here. Uh, Miguel Vargas and Oswald Peraza. I think those are just some clear prospects that didn't come through. The Peraza thing was weird because all offseason we thought he was going to be the starter on opening day. Turned out not to be the case because Anthony Volpe had a big spring. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, obviously the last round of sleepers was earlier in March. And so... You know, by late in March, I was all aboard the Volpe bandwagon. Not that either was that great. Yeah. But yeah, Cabrera didn't, didn't end up taking on the role I thought he would at first. Uh, Trey Mantini, Jack Flaherty, Jesse Winker, and Will Myers, all the sleepers there. Obviously some veterans, but uh, I'm not sure that there was much there for any of them, Scott. I mean, I'm sure you obviously made a case for them. That's why you had them as sleepers. But in hindsight, it, it feels like Perhaps there was just not much left in the tank for any of those names. Yeah, perhaps. And, you know, that is the that is the gamble with sleepers, right? If you're if you're going to highlight a player who nobody's if you're if if you're if you're trying to find upside among a group of players nobody wants, you're probably not going to find it. So 
Yeah, that's what happened with that group. I ate that Will Myers L too. That one, that one was making oh. me laugh when I was looking at it. I was like, "Ooh, that one is a blast from draft pass because I was all like, "Oh, Will Myers is one of the best cheap options. Can qualify yeah. for a steal twenty bases like that well, one was." A I big, think the argument. I, I think the argument was basically, "Look what Great American Ballpark did for Brandon Drury." That's exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah, I, I think we were all in on Will Myers, and it's so just stupid. I, you know, I really like Jesse Winker too. Like Winker and Solaire were in the five outfielder leagues I was just drafting those two and in all of them and one of them worked and one of them very clearly did not uh three breakouts here that didn't work out quite well Scott Christian Javier you know I was trying to find out why it didn't work I mean I guess we didn't have the biggest track record with Javier and he is a two-pitch pitcher so I think you can look at that as a risk uh Patrick mm. Sandoval Maybe we're enticed by the WBC. Obviously, he was pitching well in the World Baseball Classic, but control has been a huge issue for him. Uh, and then yeah. Hunter Green, I mentioned, I had him as a bust earlier. You had him as a breakout. The swing and miss is tantalizing, but uh, again, I think there's just probably just too much volatility for a pitcher going inside the top 125 picks this past season. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I... He was hurt a lot, too. So. I, I don't really take a lot of lessons from Miss breakout and sleeper picks like you go you go in knowing a lot of these guys are going to be wrong for the reasons i just said like you're 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 trying to find value you're trying to um outsmart the conventional wisdom and so more of those picks are going to be wrong than right generally speaking uh christian what's interesting about christian javier is i i think I think he kind of gained too much momentum as a breakout pick and, and it got it kind of got priced out of my own range. And what what went wrong for him, I don't think so much was, oh, I missed this about him. I think he just I think he just pitched worse. I think his pitches were just less effective than they were the previous re- year, really his entire career up to that point. And you know, you can't always predict when a player's just going to get worse like that. Yep. Uh, three players you got wrong based on your bus calls. Freddie Peralta, I'll admit, one of the hardest players to evaluate this past offseason, but I, he's one of these guys that showed massive upside in 2021, and his first half was not so good. And then his second half, he was back to that pitcher from 2021, and uh, I think he was probably a league winner for a lot of people as well. That's Freddie Peralta. Uh, Adolis Garcia, you know, that late career breakout, he had some bad plate discipline entering this year. He didn't prove that quite a bit. Uh, didn't run much this season, but obviously the power production was awesome for him. Uh, George Kirby, this is one that I was kind of with you, Scott. I, we just didn't really see where the whiffs were going to come from. Uh, his swinging strike rate did improve. His control is just impeccable. I mean, 0.9 walks per nine is unheard of. I mean, he's just clearly the best control in all of baseball. Uh, and he did get a few more whiffs this year on the slider and the splitter. Uh, do you have anything here that you learned from Freddie Peralta, Dolis Garcia, and George Kirby? Yeah, I mean, in some ways, the George Kirby bust pick was a pushback to how many people had him as a breakout pick. I don't think he lived up to quite where the people who were highest on him thought he would. It was mostly his whip improved from one year to the next, but the ERA was almost exactly the same. I don't know. That's he, he kind of got he kind of got swallowed up by the glob, and, and maybe maybe he doesn't deserve individual blame for it. But I don't I don't count that one as a total miss. And as far as wit goes, because I know we were all like incensed that wit was being drafted as like a top seven player, even a first rounder at all. Scott, the mic, the mic. 
I mean, I'm losing my voice. I don't know. It's because you're talking bad about Bobby Witt. That's the problem. Talk like this. Is this fine, Frank? Can you hear me? Yeah. Hey, I'm just trying to service the listeners, man. I know, but like, I, I don't know what to, I don't know what to do about this. <laughs> I don't know it's what's just, going on. I, I don't know either. Um, you sound great now, though, Scott. You're doing. Uh, um. Yeah, I, I lost my train of thought. You like, you were you were being I think mean the about the process was fine with Wit. Like I don't look back and like, oh, I should have known he was gonna have a thirty homer, forty nine steal season. It was a possible outcome, but I thought the risk was too high for the cost, and I still think it was too high for the cost. Now next year it doesn't seem too high for the cost, which is why he's my number two overall player. Uh, George Kirby, by the way, Scott. Well, I guess he didn't have this huge breakout season. He was a top 14 starting pitcher in both Roto and head-to-head points. So, yeah, it's pretty yeah. awesome. Pretty awesome stuff for him. Uh, Welsh, some things that you got wrong here. Chris Bryant, you, you thought he would be good. The dude just cannot stay on the field. It's it's like uh, Byron Buxton 2.0 here. Uh, Dansby Swanson, his first year with the Cubs, he missed some time. He was underwhelming when he played. The the speed really took a step back. He had 18 steals last year, only nine this year, even with the new rules. And Luis Robert, you were worried about the health, the, the pace numbers before this year. Weren't technically elite, but I think he had a little bit of that that Bobby Witt, where he's, again, a former top prospect. We know that there's massive upside, and he just finally put it together, and he lived up to it. Yeah, the one I hate the most is the Robert one, but you nailed exactly where I was. It was the injuries. The injuries were so prevalent that he never could tap into the full year. And the pace numbers didn't look like something where we needed to pay top 15 or 25 even that you could get it in other spots. And it was just wrong. I mean, everything stolen bases were going up. Uh, He tapped into the power to an elite level, stayed on the field more. That one hurts. But yeah, you nailed the other stuff too. Chris Bryant, just stupid. I'm just like, oh, Colorado, it's going to happen. You know, he was hitting over 300. Just the power wasn't there. That can positively regress. It didn't. And he's always hurt. And yeah, Dansby was the stolen bases going down. We're going to take away his overall value, but he was just much better than I thought he was going to be. The, the But the Robert one really does hurt. And um, just quickly, uh, I was absolutely with Scott on the Adolis Garcia one. That one stanks. And I was on the opposite end, though, of like the Bobby Witt and George Kirby. So I was on both of those. I was with those two. Absolutely stinky wrong about Adolis Garcia. I did not think it could happen. So now we'll all inevitably go for him this year and then this will be the coming year where it all falls apart don't say it don't say it well just saying i like you know watching adolis garcia is a really fun player to watch too so i hope he keeps it going for at least a couple more years here i'll just quickly run through the things that i got wrong this past season uh jazz chisholm and eloy jimenez as breakout candidates i mean these are just two names that struggle to stay on the field consistently and uh when i'll mention this with my lessons learned but i think valuing floor almost as evenly as upside with your early to mid-round picks, I think is something that I need to do more of because guys like this, Jazz and Eloy, going inside the top 75 picks year after year and cannot stay on the field, I think that's something we need to put more stock in and we just need guys that are going to be on the field more and at least give us something, give us a baseline of production knowing that they're going to be out there. So I think I... I need to make that more of a priority moving forward for me. Uh, Some other names, Oscar Gonzalez, Hayden Wesneski. I I think just kind of ignoring some of the flaws, uh, Hayden Wesneski, just like a small sample darling from last year, maybe put too much stock into that. Rowdy Telez is a sleeper. 
I still kind of like the process here. I mean, he showed massive power in 2022, much better expected stats. We had the shift restriction coming in. I think he played hurt for a lot of like the first half of the season too. So I, I don't know. I still kind of like the process on Rowdy Telez. John Gray, I mean, just stop trying to make fetch happen, Frank. Like it's just, it's not going to happen with John Gray. Uh, Edward Cabrera. Yeah. I love the stuff still do, but the control is just so bad at times. It's, Kind of similar to Hunter Green, I think, in that way. It's just he has a much better home ballpark than uh, Hunter Green does. Ross Stripling and Noah Syndergaard, just looking back, like, what the heck was I thinking? It's just, <laughs> like, veterans that I didn't really have much to go based on. And, like, Syndergaard, I literally had no statistical evidence. It was just the Dodgers. Dodgers going to fix them. <laughs> like, that was it, yeah. I mean, look, if that was your reasoning behind uh, Tyler Anderson and... True. And Andrew Heaney the year before, you would have been spot on. So, like, it's, I don't know. I don't know. I think you're being a little. I think we're. I don't think you need to be as hard on yourself, Frank. No, there were reasons to like those guys coming in, and as long as you didn't invest too much in them, you know, that misses are going to happen. If you're not first, you're last, Scott. You got to be hard <laughs> on yourself. Uh, Lance Lynn, by the way, he's the last one. Again, it's we talked about him all year. He was somebody I targeted everywhere. I, I thought he was undervalued. I, I think trusting in an older pitcher and kind of using like second half statistics, you know. Uh, Chris Towers has said for years, full season stats are more predictive than partial season statistics. And Lance Lynn, we looked at the second half stats from last year, and I think it was kind of a slippery slope when when buying back in on him uh, and just being an older pitcher in general. So I think maybe I should have saw a little bit more of uh, that coming this season. Let's wrap up here. Some uh, lessons that we learned this year overall, Scott. Uh, I asked each of you guys for two, so let's uh, just quickly run through these and Maybe you already talked about some of them. Maybe you haven't, Scott. But we'll start with you. Two lessons that you learned from the 2023 season. All right. One of them was that the return of position scarcity was just a blip. A blip brought about by that, uh, in retrospect, a weird 2020 season where power numbers were randomly down. It had a greater impact on... On the middle infield position, the infield positions that we don't tr- traditionally think of as power laden and third base was strangely scarce as well. And so that was a heavy emphasis of mine on going into drafts this year. Remember, I had a plan where I wanted an outfielder in round one, a third baseman in round two and a second baseman in round three. That was the thing I was talking about for a while. You know, maybe the third baseman would be in round one and the outfielder in round two. But basically the first three rounds, I wanted to come out with those three positions. And after the way this year went, you know, I was just talking earlier this podcast, there might be more 2020 candidates at second base than any other position. Uh, I just, I don't, I, I'm, I'm going into next year with basically no intentional position strategy. Heath Cummings, Nips strategy, as he <laughs> likes to call it. Which isn't to say that, you know, there may be points, I'll still have positional tiers and all of that. There may be points in the draft where it makes more sense to take one position more than another. But it's more going to be about the flow of the draft than something that's predetermined beforehand because I think there's enough depth uh, really everywhere that uh, it's not something you need to stress about next year. And uh, I agree with that, by the way, too. I mean, I just remember in draft season, I I was consistently passing up on these elite first basemen just because I liked the value at that position later on, like Anthony Rizzo and Rowdy Tillis. Like the Brayu, we're like, Jose Brayu's a guy. I know I did that so much. I'm like, I don't need Matt Olson. I can get Jose Brayu later. I think it's just more like take the best players possible early on in the draft and just like don't think about drafts, you know. 
it, it's 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 more about there's 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 a point where there's a drop off among the hitters. Get as many of those hitters as you can yeah. ahead of that drop off, and and same. At pitching, though, the drop-offs, I think, are less clear there. And speaking of pitchers, Scott, I know that was your second lesson learned. Yeah, I mean, this is really the biggest lesson. Is just, and, and we've talked about it all season long, the way the cha- the pitcher pool has changed. changed. And uh, how I'm going to put it is this. Quantity over quality at starting pitcher. With the caveat that the quantity has to be of a certain quality. Basically, I want as many glob pitchers as I can get. And rather than, you know, paying up for a Luis Castillo or an uh, Corbin Burns or Zach Wheeler, somebody like that, you know, I'm not saying I'm absolutely not going to draft anybody from that tier. Ideally, I would get a couple pitchers from that tier, but I'm not going to be so – I'm not going to – I'm not going to be like, I have to build my pitching staff from that group or else I'm going to have bad pitching. And I'm not going to go the other way, which is, ah, there'll be plenty of pitchy out there. I can, um, you know, I could find guys emerging on the waiver wire. I, you know, I'll I'll just take whoever I take and um, I'll be able to piece it together during the season. I don't think that's true. That's especially not true in Roto Leagues and that's especially not true in the deeper Roto Leagues, the 15-teamers where the waiver wire just had no pitching to offer all season long. The reason I say quantity over quality is because the whole idea behind the glob, which again is a group of like 60 pitchers that I think are going to be very unpredictable from start to start and you're not really sure where their final numbers are going to give end up and because of that unpredictability that's why I don't feel like you need to invest so heavily in the high end types who aren't as high end even as in years past and that's also why um, I think you need to give yourself as many shots within the glob of putting together a pitching staff that you can um, that that turns into a pretty good one uh, and and kind of tr- trim the fat as the season goes on, or maybe attrition itself trims the fat for you. I have some interesting stats here. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I've presented this information in the most cohesive way. Um, but this year, in roto leagues, only seven of the top 75 players were starting pitchers. This is why I don't think it pays to invest big in one early only 70 of the top only seven of the top 75 players were pitchers one of them was zach eflin who are not going to rank that high in all likelihood and one of them was blake snell who we have a lot of doubts about as well seven of the top 75 only 17 of the next 75 overall players in roto leagues were pitchers and this includes clayton kershaw who you couldn't trust for the second half of the year freddie peralta who you couldn't trust for the first half of the year chris bassett who we were never that trusting in all year, right? Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, who we both think are on the decline and, 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 and probably not going to be as good next year. So that's 24 pitchers total that were in the top 150 in Roto Leagues this year. That's compared to 46 in the top 150 last year. So that's just another way to demonstrate how, how the pitching uh, pool has changed and how... A big investment just isn't worth it because you're giving up so much value. Only 24 of the top 150 players. Like, so how many do you want to draft ahead of 150? I don't know. But, but at the same time, if you don't give yourself enough bites at that, at that glob apple 
and, and, and leave too much to happen on the waiver wire, that's going to go poorly too. Yeah, I don't know, Scott. I mean, you talking about that now, I, I kind of felt like you presented the other side, like the other case for it is that there's so few pitchers ranked inside of the top 150 yeah, that you, you need you need some of those well, in order to compete, right? Like, Well, let me put it another way. There were zero pitchers. The, the highest ranked pitcher was Garrett Cole, 20. He's going to go well before 20. Spencer Strider was 22. He's going to go well before that. Blake Snell was the third highest at 36. And then there's only one more that was in the top 50, and it's Zach Gallen. I ran this thing real quick. If I could just throw it, it'd take 30 seconds. I ran hitters and pitchers today, the top 30 best performance, the numbers of the top 30 at each category, homers, runs, RBI, took the top 30 and averaged them out. And I created the super player on both pitching and hitting. I did this earlier today. The super hitter, this is what the super hitter number looks like. Again, 30 of the best performances averaged out. The super hitter was 35 homers, 105 runs, 103 RBI, 34 stolen bases with a 294 batting average. Those are ginormous numbers. How many players do you think did that this year? Two. Uh, how many? One. One. one? Acuna. Just yeah. Acuna. He's the only one that did that. Betts was close. There's a couple other guys. The pitcher superpower. I had super player. I only did four. Here's what the super pitcher was. 13 wins, a 3-4 ERA, a 1-1-4 whip, 202 strikeouts. Those feel like two very different numbers, and the glob affects some of that. 35-35 is the super hitter, and the super pitcher is a 3-4 ERA with 200 strikeouts and 13 wins. That The super pitcher is a globby type of pitcher. And by the way, there were only two pitchers that actually met that marker. And then there was a whole host of guys that were off by one category. Logan Webb, Kyle Bradish, and guys that paced out. Way more guys that paced closer to the super pitcher than hitters that paced to the super hitter. And I mean, Spencer Strider had a 3.86 ERA. Uh, Zach Gallen, who I said was the fourth best pitcher according to Rota this past year, his ERA didn't even meet that very low threshold. It was 347. So it's a combination of the high-end pitchers aren't really that good. And pitching as a whole isn't really that good relative to the hitting. And so, like, if the glob is really a glob and we're not going to be able to distinguish from it very well, I think you just need to draft a lot of it. I think you need to draft a lot of it and hope for the best. Uh, and by the way, that was basically my approach. In I did well in my head-to-head leagues where there was a waiver wire that you could turn to. So I, I, invest, I invested very little in points leagues and head-to-head leagues as a whole and did very well in those because I was able to build a pitching staff on the fly. But in Roto Leagues, I did poorly. And I think this is the biggest difference between those two formats and and why I got such different results with basically the same approach is because there's a higher threshold for pitchers to meet in Roto and there's less you can find during the season to meet it in this kind of glob pitching environment. I know this podcast is going on. I, I thought this would be more of a discussion and so I'm struggling to like, whittled these ideas down to something digestible, but I, I guess it's just I guess it's just what you're going to have to take for now. I'm still working my way through it. Uh, look, we spoke about that yesterday, too. It's 
trying to figure out how to draft pitching next year is it's going to take some time. I think we need to dissect this season and study the numbers and really kind of, all right, let's figure out our strategy for drafting pitching next year. And obviously we have a, a long time to figure that out. Welsh, your lessons learned this year. Oh, well, I mean, you said it earlier. I'll just be real quick. You talked about the, you kind of said the risk reward. That was a big one for me. It's kind of always one for me. I really need to like hit home harder. I get very defensive of players that like the Jazz Chisholm conversation, players that are huge and show elite traits when they're out there are my kryptonite and Jacob deGrom screws me jazz Chisholm does it I, I ha you have to be more aware I didn't pair these guys and you can never do that but the old adage the juice worth the squeeze is probably getting less and less especially as counting stats are going up and up that's one of them uh, the actually the pitching one was another one I the with the whole super pitcher and kind of some of these other guys that showed up that were just I mean just barely missed the list you had like the Kirby's the Verlanders uh, Kodai Senga actually was a only missed it by the whip um, there's a lot of those glob pitchers so Scott already hit that and the only other thing was just thinking about closers and uh, we I looked today at the top 10 closers on the auction calculator on fan graphs as far as values go and six of the top 10 valued money dollar valued closers were taken 90th overall or later Tanner Scott was like number three and then who were the guys that were in there they were the elite of the elite so I actually see less value in that middle range which I used to really have value in I used to be like I don't want the elite elite let me get a middle guy and then maybe like another kind of latish middle guy and then one dirt cheap guy that shows you a lot that get one of those lockdown guys and then just play it on the back end. And obviously as many people do with closers play the wire, you know, Tanner Scott was one of the more valuable guys and he was a guy that you picked up off the wire. So just understanding how I'm going to treat closers of maybe getting one of those top, top guys, uh, but then playing it in a shallow pool of closers later, you can get a lot of return value. All right. Some lessons for me. And I mentioned this earlier. It's just, Valuing floor and ceiling more evenly in the early to mid rounds. Uh, I've become a little bit more injury agnostic over the past couple seasons. And when I first started playing, I, I was so worried about injuries to early round players. And I've already kind of mentioned this with Corbin Carroll. And again, like if he has a good postseason and he comes back to spring training and there are no concerns about the shoulder, then I think I could change my stance on that. But right now, it's like enough of a reason to drop him down to like the late first round rather than like a top five pick. Uh, but it's things like that. I think I just need to be more cognizant of injuries and, and, and risk in those early to mid rounds. Uh, obviously, later on in drafts, you still want to take your upside shots. But I think it needs to be a sliding scale. Like as the draft goes on, you can take a little bit, a little bit more risk, a little bit more risk. And then obviously those later round picks will, will be lots of risk. Uh, and then hopefully you hit on some of those. And I look back at some of my Roto teams. Scott and I mentioned yesterday that we kind of we've struggled in Roto the past couple of years. And I noticed a common theme, low batting average. I didn't have a single team in the top four in batting average in any of my Roto Leagues. And I won a few Roto Leagues. I won two of them. And I did that with teams that were outside the top four in batting average. And I think I said the same thing last offseason, is that I need to emphasize the ratio stats more. Batting average, ERA, whip. Obviously, pitching is like a whole nother conversation, which we just kind of tried to have. But... They're so hard to make up those stats later on in the year. You, you can't move up as easily as you can in the counting stats. I need to put more of an emphasis. Batting average, ERA, whip, early rounds in my drafts, 
and, and not drafting the Rowdy Telezes and, and these guys that are going to hit 200 or 210 or Kyle Schwarber hitting under 200 because it just tanks your batting average so much. And I think I need to be more cognizant of that as well. Uh, and that was something that I learned. And here we are. It's our second off-season podcast, and we've had like our longest podcast <laughs> of the season. So like, I don't even know what's going to happen this off-season. But here you are. Enjoy the content. It's free, and it's here for you. We didn't get to talk about the Arizona Fall League, but I'll uh, give you a little sneak peek. Our Fantasy Baseball Today in 5 episode, which is going to come out on Saturday, we're going to talk about all that stuff, and I'm going to drop it in the FBT feed, so make sure to check out for that. Uh, have the Welsh on, and we'll talk about Ricky Tiedemann and, and Jackson Job and all those guys. But for Scott and the Welsh, I am Frank. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball Today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify, and we will be back again next week. Bye-bye. CBS Sunday, after the Equalizer. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. It's the season finale. Everyone's looking for something. Of Tracker. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker, CBS season finale Sunday, after the Equalizer, on CBS and streaming on Paramount+.